want to invite your attention as we gather together on this Lord's Day to the book of 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. I'd like for us to consider in the moments we have together, verses 7 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse number 7. Hear these words as recorded in the Holy Scripture. The end of all things is near. Therefore be sober-minded and alert in order that you may pray. Above all things, have love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sin. Demonstrate hospitality one with another without grumbling. As each man has received the gift, so minister the same to one another as good stewards of the manifest grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as if though he were speaking the words of God. If any man minister, let him do it under the ability which God gives to him, that God in all things may be glorified through the Lord Jesus Christ, because all the glory and all the honor belong to him. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray now that you would send the type of anointing that makes preaching easy, that, Father, you would grant clarity of speech or the mind that's focused on you. For, Lord, we need to hear a word from heaven today. We need our lives transformed by your power and by your glory. And, Lord, as always, I pray that your name would be glorified, that your people would be edified, that sinners would be evangelized, and most of all, even today, that Satan would be absolutely horrified. And now, Lord, would you let the words of my mouth the meditations of my heart, would you let those be acceptable in your sight? Because, Lord, you are my strength and you are my redeemer. Father, let us leave here today more in love with Jesus at the end than at the beginning. And we ask this in the strong, powerful name of our soon-returning King Jesus. And we all say it together, amen. I want to tag this text with this thought in mind. I want to preach about living a life that brings glory to God. Living a life that brings glory to God. I'm convinced that the church is designed to be a place where believers walk together in love and unity. Whenever we walk together in unity, we can accomplish so much more for the glory of God. The prophet Amos reminds us in Amos chapter 3, verse number 3, how can to walk together except they agree. I'm convinced today that our lives in the church exist to bring glory to God. The early church made a difference because they were a church that were unified around the right priorities. The early church was efficient and effective because they always kept the main thing the main thing. They were not competitors, but rather they were colleagues working together for one common cause. They were not divided over worship styles. They were not divided over their personal preferences. They were not divided over the generations. But rather, they were committed to living out the great commandment and committed to fulfilling the great commission. The testimony of their early churches, these were they that turned the world upside down and right side up. These believers were committed and devoted to the plan of God. Recorded in Acts chapter 2, verse number 42, the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' preaching and teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. 
One of the signs of a vibrant, healthy church is a vibrant, healthy church prioritizes their biblical values. You see, we live in a culture that devalues values. We live in a culture where anything goes and everything is acceptable. But you and I are reminded in 1 Peter that we have godly standard and godly values that we must live by. The Apostle Peter says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that we should show forth the praises of him who has brought us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. We are called to live by biblical values. We are called to live differently before this world. And I'm convinced today that there are several things that we ought to value. For instance, we should value focused worship. We should believe that worship is a lifestyle. And those of us who are born again, we worship the Lord privately and publicly. We affirm that the true worshiper should worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. We should value focused worship. We should value biblical truth. We believe that in order to live a life that honors God, that we need God's Holy Spirit to guide us daily as we study the Word of God. We believe that the Word of God is the inerrant Word of God, which simply means it contains no error. It is the infallible Word of God. It contains truth. It is the inspired Word of God, that Scripture is God-breathed. And yes, it is the authoritative Word of God, that God's Word is the final authority in all matters. What I'm simply trying to say to you this morning is when the believer gets in the Word of God and the Word of God gets in the believer, you have a winning combination. Preach, Brother Willie. I'm doing the best I can. We ought to believe in focused worship. We should value biblical truth. We should value gospel action. We believe that our God is a sending God, that we are ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ here at home and around the world, that we're called to be light and salt in the midst of a dark world. We are created in the image of God in order that we can be on mission with God. I love what C.T. Studd says. C.T. Studd says the light that shines the farthest is the one that shines the brightest at home. But then we should value compassionate service. That our Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest example of what it means to serve with compassion. And the Lord Jesus Christ has called us to use our gifts and our talents and our time and our resources for the advancement of the kingdom. We're reminded in the scripture that we are called to serve with godly compassion. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 through 18, Jesus says, If someone has enough money to live well, and they see your brother or sister in need, but show no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other, but let us show the truth by our action. And then Jesus reminds us in John chapter 13, Jesus says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And then Jesus says the result of you and I loving one another, he says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples. This message this morning simply teaches us that we are never more like Jesus than when we are serving one another. 1 Peter chapter 4 is written by the Apostle Peter. This is the Peter who preached on the day of Pentecost, and the Bible records that at least 3,000 believers were added to the local body of the church. 
The same Peter who also denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times. The apostle Peter writes this message to believers who were enduring great persecution and suffering. He writes this epistle as a word of warning and as a word of encouragement. And in verse number 7, Peter says, The end of all things is near. He says Jesus is coming back, and Peter knew that the next major event on God's calendar was the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter says to the people of God, Get ready, because Jesus is coming. And in these verses this morning, we learn the values and we learn the behaviors that are put on display by great commission Christians. And so the question this morning is simply this, how do we bring glory to God? How do our lives demonstrate and display what it means to bring glory to God? And Peter answers that for us in these few verses here. First of all, he says, if our lives are going to bring glory to God, the first thing that it says to us in verse number seven is that we've got to pray believingly. Peter says, the end of all things is near. Brothers and sisters, I need to remind us on this Lord's day that the Lord Jesus Christ can come back at any moment and we must live our lives in a state of readiness because the end is near. And Peter says, be alert and be sober-minded in order that you may pray. Peter says the end is near and the posture that we need to take is we don't need to be sleepy, we don't need to be brovery, but we need to be alert and we need to be sober-minded. We need to be clear-minded. Why? In order that we may pray. The early church's efforts and ministries were marked by prayer. So Peter says be alert and be sober-minded in order that we might pray. Peter encourages the believers that as we approach the end times, we need to engage in prayer. Listen, when we pray believingly, we should pray expectantly. Jesus teaches us on the Mount of Beatitudes the importance of prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, verse number 6, Jesus says, not if you pray, but when you pray, go into your secret closet. Close the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees you in secret, he will reward you openly. In Mark chapter 11, verse number 24, Jesus says, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you have received it and yes, it indeed will be yours. Jesus teaches us again in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open unto you. If we pray believingly, we should pray expectantly. But not only should we pray expectantly, but we should also pray earnestly. You can look really closely at the life of Jesus, and Jesus had a pattern of praying earnestly. The Bible records in Mark chapter 1, verse number 35, Jesus gets up a great while before day. He goes to a solitary place, and there Jesus prays. And Peter says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled in order that you may pray. Keep a clear head. Don't get drunk on money, possessions, and career or anything else that would keep you from praying. Stay alert and stay sober-minded in order that you may pray. 
But then if we're going to pray believingly, we also need to pray eagerly. Brothers and sisters, we're living in a time now where our world desperately needs prayer. Our country needs prayer. Our churches need prayer. Our leaders need prayer. Never shall forget the story about the fox and the rabbit. The fox ran after the rabbit, but the fox was never able to catch the rabbit. And the reason that the fox was never able to catch the rabbit is because the fox was running for food, but the rabbit was running for its life. And if you want something that you've never had before, you've got to be willing to do some things you've never done before, and you must desire it eagerly. We must be willing to pray eagerly. Brothers and sisters, if we're going to see a public movement of God, there must be those private moments with God. We're called to pray believingly. You see, if you depend upon your promotion, you'll get what your promotion can give you. If you depend upon your money, you'll get what your money can give you. If you depend upon your education, you'll get what your education can give you. If you depend upon your organization, you'll get simply what your organization can get you. But if you would depend on prayer, you'll get what God can do. And what we need is we need desperately what God can do. Brothers and sisters, God can do more in a moment that you and I can do in a lifetime. And so the Apostle Peter says to us, if we're going to live lives that bring glory to God, he says, first of all, we're called to pray believingly. But then look what he says to us in verse number 8. He says, not only should we pray believingly, but he simply says to us, second of all, we need to love unconditionally. Listen to the words of the Apostle. He says, above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. We are called to love each other fervently. Notice the phrase, above all. The phrase above all simply means that we need to place a premium and a priority on loving. He says, above all, love each other deeply. He says to us that when we love each other, it's not a surface love, but it's called to be a deep love. This, this phrase deeply has the idea of a strenuous, intense love. In fact, this is not the first time that Peter uses this phrase in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 22. He says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. And then Peter says, above all, love each other deeply. In other words, the translation is simply this, love takes work. And Peter says, we know that love takes work because the proof of this love, according to Peter, is forgiveness. He says, above all, love each other deeply. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sin. Think about that for a moment. He says, when we love each other deeply, this love covers a multitude of sin. The church that loves one another is able to forgive one another more rapidly when issues arise. Families that love one another are able to forgive each other more rapidly when sins and trespasses come to the surface. When we love one another deeply, we do not place each other under the microscope of suspicion. 
That the concept of loving one another deeply is not a new concept. In fact, you see this in Genesis chapter 9. Noah gets drunk. Noah shamefully uncovers himself. His son Ham saw his father's shame, told his family members, and in loving concern, Ham's two brothers, they come to their father Noah They cover their father. They cover his shame. In fact, the narrative simply says they did not want to see his shame. And so they backed up to their father and they covered him. Why do they do that? Simply because they had a deep abiding love. Notice what he says. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sin. The Bible reminds us through the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 23, all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are hopeless and all of us are helpless. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing so good that you can do that cause God to love you any more. There's nothing so bad that you can do that cause God to love you any less. It is simply the unconditional love of the Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the Apostle Paul, demonstrates his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. Godly. And so the Apostle Peter says, if we're going to live lives that bring glory to God, we've got to pray believingly. We're called to love unconditionally. And then Peter gives us an interesting statement in verse number nine. He says that if you're going to pray believingly and if you're going to love unconditionally, then the manifestation of loving unconditionally is in verse number nine. Offer hospitality one to another without grumbling. The third thing that Peter admonishes us is we're going to live lives that bring glory to God as we're called to live hospitably. Peter says, offer hospitality one to another. This simply means that we're called to be hospitable, not to those who are lovely and not just to those who are friendly or fun to be with, but we're called to exhibit hospitality to everyone, that if they are important in the eyes of Jesus, then they should be important in our eyes. And Peter says, when you offer hospitality, he gives a descriptive. He says, do it without grumbling murmuring or complaining. Perhaps you're thinking to yourself this morning, I I offer hospitality, but that's not the question. The question is, how are you posturing your attitude and how you offer hospitality? Are you doing it enthusiastically or are you doing it grudgingly? Are you doing it with an attitude? The Lord Jesus Christ is inviting us to make sure that every person, regardless of their age, their nationality, their financial status, that if we're called to open our arms and welcome them into our homes and we're called to offer hospitality one to another. The best way I can explain this is in the cul-de-sac that I live in, in our community, we have the community trampoline. And the only reason that our trampoline became the community trampoline is because our trampoline is the only trampoline that has a net on it. And so, so everyone in the community comes to our home, and sometimes there are 15 or 20 kids on our trampoline, and my uh, youngest daughter has the gift of hospitality, and uh, she's, she's giving all the kids bottles of Gatorade, 
giving all the kids icicle pops. And so I, I come outside one day because I wanted to partake in not the trampoline. I wanted to partake in an icicle pop and there were no more icicle pops. And my daughter played this trick. She left the empty box in the freezer. And so I got real spiritual and I said to her, I said, honey, these kids, we're already providing the trampoline. Their, their parents can provide their own Gatorade and their own icicle pops. They got stimulus checks just like we got stimulus checks, and they can buy their own goods. And Peter speaks to me, and he says, offer hospitality without grumbling or complaining. Peter gives us one last admonition in verses 10 and 11. If our lives are going to bring glory to God, he finally admonishes us to serve faithfully. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as if though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it with the strength and the energy that God provides. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through the Lord Jesus Christ because all the glory and all the power belong to him forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, you are never more like Jesus than when you are serving one another. And when we understand that we're called to serve faithfully, the first thing that Peter reminds us is that you are important to God. Notice what it says. Each one has received a gift. Each person that is born again, each person that has trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior is valuable in the sight of God, so valuable that God gives you a gift. I need you to hear me today that you are valuable to God. In fact, in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 6, he who began a good work in you, he will complete that work until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are valuable to God. If you allow other people to define who you are, then you're no more than who they say that you are. But if you allow yourself to be defined by God, then you're who God says that you are. You are a child of the king. You are born again. You are an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a friend of God. You are important to God. But not only does he admonish us that we are important to God, but he says because you are important to God, God invests his gift in you. That God, each one, has received a gift. I'm convinced that there are at least three gifts that we receive. He gives you the gift of salvation. When you come down the aisle, give your hand to the preacher and give your heart to the Lord. He redeems you from the curse of sin, death, hell, and the grave. And if the Lord Jesus Christ were to come back in any moment, you're going to have all eternity in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives you the gift of salvation. He gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you are born again, you are immediately indwelled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit teaches you all things and brings all things back to your remembrance. The Holy Spirit does not cause you to slap your neighbor. The Holy Spirit does not cause you to do things outside of your character, but now you are a spiritual being in a physical body. His Holy Spirit should be controlling your life, but then he gives you a spiritual gift. 
Spiritual gifts are given in order that you, brothers and sisters, can engage in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. People that do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ may have special talents, but they do not possess spiritual gifts. The gifts are given in order that we can expand the work of the kingdom. The gifts are given in order that we can advance the gospel here at home and around the world. We need every person of every church, of every size, of every race, of every every nationality to use their gifts to the glory of God. And Peter says that some have the gift of speaking and some have the gift of serving. And notice this, don't miss this, because he says, if you speak, speak as if though you're speaking the words of God. I love this because this informs my wording. This informs everything I say. This informs me when I post on social media that when I'm posting and when I'm speaking and when I'm engaging in conversation, I'm engaging in that conversation as if though I'm a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ speaking the very words of God. But then he says, if anyone serves, you should serve with the strength and the energy that God provides. Why? So God may be praised through the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus Christ is interested in his glory. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ because all the glory and all the power belong to him, amen and amen. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse number 23, that what Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, not unto man, but as unto the Lord. And brothers and sisters, I stopped by this morning to tell you to do what you can with what you have, where you are, while you can. God is giving you a gift. Use that gift to do what you can with what you have, where you are, while you can, in order that your life can bring glory to God. I'm done. My uh, friend of mine is a pastor up north, and uh, he was visiting one of his church members in the cardiac unit. And uh, he was a single man, and so he walks into the cardiac unit. And when he walks into the unit, he sees this beautiful woman in a long white coat, and he notices immediately that she did not have a ring on her finger. So he automatically assumed that I'm a single man, she's a single woman. So uh, they get into the elevator together, and when they get inside the elevator, uh, he asked the lady two questions. He says, ma'am, tell me, what do you do and who do you work for? She says, well, sir, I'm a medical doctor, but I'm not just a regular medical doctor. I'm a cardiologist. But I'm not a regular cardiologist. I'm the one that the other cardiologists call on when they don't know what to do and when they can't figure it out. So then she asked him a question. She says, sir, tell me, what do you do and who do you work for? He says, well, ma'am, I'm a pastor and I'm the one they call on when you don't know what to do and when you can't figure it out. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, I come to tell you this morning, we got a name that we can call on. That when the world does not know what to do and when the world cannot figure it out, and that is the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. There is no problem that Jesus cannot solve. There is no sickness that Jesus cannot heal. There is no door that Jesus cannot open. There is no pain that Jesus cannot comfort. And there is no sin that Jesus cannot forgive give say yes say yes, yes. living a life
that brings glory to God. Would you commit today to pray believingly, to love unconditionally, to live hospitably, but most of all, to serve faithfully. Father, thank you for this God-sized moment you've given us to have a fresh encounter with you. Thank you for those who are assembled in this place. And Lord, none of us are here by accident. We are here today by your divine providence. And Lord, ultimately, all that we want to do, want to live lives that bring glory to God. Lord, the end of all things is near. Would you let us meditate day and night on the fact that we're called to be alert and to be sober-minded in order that we may pray. Father, may your blessings be on the faculty and the administration and staff of this great institution. May your blessings be upon every man and woman that walks through these halls of academics. Lord, may their presence in this sacred trust be a blessing to the world. Lord, we thank you. We give you praise. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.